Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the WordPress Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick, and I'm pumped because I have a repeat guest and a zillion things to catch up with him today because he is this prolific creator-doer. I've got Dan Norris back on the show. Dan, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you... (laughs) I I swear to God, Dan, you are like a a double-edged sword for me because you're a massive inspiration that I'm like, God, I need to be doing more. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but in a good way. So a lot. What's is, the other edge of the sword? No, I said inspiration or the other edge is I don't do enough, you know? So it's like, it, so it's. Ah, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, there's always more to do though, right? There's always more to do. So, um, so much has changed since we talked last. So first I want to start with congratulations with Black Ops, uh, the brewery. That is crazy exciting. Thank I, you. Yeah. It's, it's, my life has changed quite a bit. Um, to, I haven't been on too many WordPress podcasts in the last <laughs> year or so. Well, for what it's worth, I, I talk about a lot. I, I I finally accepted the fact. I'm like, you know what? I'm not a developer or you know a programmer. I, I'm sort of the cheerleader for the space, but I love the marketing, the content, which is you know your book, Content Machine, really shifted stuff for me. But um, yeah, so I think it's fantastic on the brewery. It's really exciting. And you guys just hit a milestone revenue mark. You want to talk about that at all? Or? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, we haven't really talked about if 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 I'm allowed to talk about it. So I normally I, like I put it in my private group, but I don't. We don't really talk about revenue too much because with with the brewery, it's very much like like with WP Curve, it was like every single month would grow by like almost exactly ten to fifteen percent, and it was like super predictable. And so when we got to say like eighty three k a month, which is like a million dollar run rate, um, I was confident to say like this is like a million dollar run rate. Whereas with the brewery. It's there's so many moving parts. Like we could we could do one month where we earn 50k, another month where we earn 90k, and that wouldn't be all that unusual because it's just there's just so many moving parts to it. So um, I'm more reluctant to kind of like celebrate revenue milestones, but certainly like the first we, we haven't even been in a business for a year yet. This tomorrow is our celebration for our first uh, year birthday, and it's pretty crazy how fast it's grown. It it totally has, and so didn't mean to like put you on the spot with the revenue, but um, and just seeing oh, no, that. Good. Yeah, you just Andrew warned me. <laughs> well, I'm gonna take that <laughs> as a compliment. Um, but with that, you know, just to see that growth, because you guys, if we could talk a sec about it, I mean, this was from scratch, right? Did you guys do funding to launch the Black Ops? How did, how did you go about that process? Yeah, we had so we we put probably the bulk of the money in ourselves. And then we we couldn't quite get the – well, a couple of things happened. One was the amount we thought it would cost to open, we couldn't get all of that. So we've got a couple of investors to chip in as well. And then the other thing that happened was when we went to open it, we spent way more than we wanted to. So then we had to get them to put a little bit more in and we had to put a bit more in. So um, it's mostly owned by us, but we had a couple of investors who just sort of turned out to be good mates, not like big VCs, but like just kind of mates of ours who wanted to have a bit of a stake in a brewery. Well, you know, it's interesting. I had done, it's funny because I did a, uh, one of my very last websites, I don't do them anymore, but 
that I wrapped up um, a few months ago was for a local brewery. And I told them they had to get your book. So <laughs> they got, <laughs> they got your book. Um, but it was crazy because, you know, we went and, and we did, you know, got to walk at the, the brewery and stuff. And the amount that goes into that, it's, it's kind of awe inspiring. I mean, just the equipment alone, <laughs> you know, let alone, I mean, so it's a big investment. So how was opening a brick and mortar business for you compared to the digital stuff? Yeah, it really is uh, pretty involved. Like I, I kind of when when I sold WP Curve, I sort of thought, well, I'll I'll start a bunch of other projects to work out what I'm going to do with my time. Um, but it just turns out I really don't have any time at all other than working on Black Ops, and there's just so many so many parts to it. It's kind of crazy. It, I mean, a lot of it is fun too. Like the equipment side, just like w- we started literally from scratch, trying to trying to think of how we're going to build this brewery with a budget that is way smaller than anyone really should have to build a brewery. So we were like getting on Alibaba, looking at brewing equipment. We flew over to China. We, um, you know, we spent, you know, $150,000 on brewing equipment on Alibaba, you know, flew over there, looked at it all, shipped it over. I mean, we would, it was kind of crazy. Like looking back on it, I kind of think there's just so many things that could have gone so badly wrong. <laughs> and, if, if, and that's just the equipment. Like that's, that's just getting the equipment here. Um, not to mention like the, the warehouse we got was three warehouses. We had to knock down all the walls. We had to build a bar. We had to put in all the plumbing and trade waste, like probably a hundred thousand dollars more worth of just work on the building. Um, and then, I mean, all of this stuff is all stuff that I, you know, is, is foreign to me. So all of, all the marketing, the content, the hiring, the product choice, everything, um, is, was all on top of all of that. So it was crazy. There's just so much, so much to do in a business like this. It's kind of mind blowing. Like it's with WP curve, it was sort of, it got to a point where it's like, I actually don't know what to do with my time. I did so much content and so many interviews and spoke at events. Cause I really didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, but with black ops, even with three founders working full time, there's, there's never a day that goes past where like I'm not needed for something, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine my way back in the day, I used to just manage big retail stores that were, you know, six, $10 million stores. I'm like, <laughs> and that was someone else's building and responsibility. But yeah, but with this, so with your partners, like, what's the story behind how you guys decided to come up with a, brew, a, a brewery? I mean, were you just, you know, doing like home, home brews? I mean, what got you here besides a love of beer? Probably. I mean, that's a huge leap to to decide let's open a brewery. That's true. I like that phrase too. What got you here with despite that love of beer? That's good. Maybe that could be like an Instagram quote or something. <laughs> despite the love of beer, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it all happened pretty quick, to be honest. Like we, me and Eddie had been best mates for years and we were just sitting around. Govs was a brewer. We'd visited him at the brewery he worked at and Eddie had this idea to, to brew a beer called the, an eggnog stout, which is just like a flavored stout. Um, and I, I think because Eddie kind of just wanted to taste the beer. Govs was keen to do some home brewing because he'd been working in like big brewing systems and working for, you know, like he he got a a job at a brewery that was probably a bit more creative with like the sort of beers they made. So he's getting more excited about brewing different types of beers. Um, and I, I mean, I'm always just interested in the business part of it really. Like the, like the, the beer is cool, but I could probably be running any business and that's the bit that, that interests me, the marketing and, and the business side of it. So we made the beer as homebrew, and then from there, 
I just got carried away with branding and making bottles and <laughs> setting up Instagram and setting up a website and writing blog posts. We, we started a podcast and it just one thing led to another and all of a sudden, it, it, I mean, it seems like, like a year ago we opened, but it was really just sort of a side fun thing for me. But a year on, I'm like, actually, this business is growing way faster than WP Curve did and um, potentially could be a lot bigger. Like, like I kind of didn't really appreciate how big like how much beer gets drunk in Australia every year <laughs> until I found out some of the the revenues from some of the like the really big established independent brewers. And I'm like, oh, shit, I can't, there's actually quite a lot of potential to build a very decent business. Yeah, I, I just I can't even imagine. So in a way, do you think there was a little bit of ignorance is bliss because it just took on a life of its own? Well, I, I mean, I just it was always just fun for me. Like it's always fun to do businessy type stuff. I, I never really thought it would. I mean, I knew it would be a serious business, but I never really thought it would be, I would sort of be really deep in it just because I'm sort of more of an online business guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it became obvious to me recently that this is by far the biggest opportunity I have in front of me. So I sort of shut down everything else and, um, and, and just trying to figure out how we keep growing at the rate we're growing, which is not, which is actually a challenge that requires some work. It's not just kind of sitting around and, hoping people sign up it's because of the way the business works you can only grow to a point before you need more equipment and you can only get more equipment when you have more money and you know then then you'll get to a point where the amount of equipment is too is too much for the site so there's there's just you just outgrow at every step so you need to kind of plan for that so there's a lot of work in all of that yeah, there's a, that's what I think what when I saw the milestone that you guys had reached when you were talking about looking at approaching venture capitalists and stuff. So is that sort of a, a path you guys are going to be going on with the growth strategy? Yeah, not venture capitalists. I think um, ideally what I would really love to do is is figure out a way to get – so 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 where we're at at the moment is um, all the equipment and everything we bought for the brewery um, is basically maxed out now. We're at capacity after 11 months, which is, uh, wow. which is very good, but we're, <laughs> yeah. we're also saying no to, we're saying no to customers. We've got a bar on site here as well that just cranks and we move through heaps of beer here. Um, and so we're saying no to customers, which isn't really what we want to be doing. So the next phase is getting a bunch of tanks for next door and we've taken over next door. We've ordered the tanks and it's only four more tanks, but it triples our capacity because they're double size. Wow. Um, so for that that phase of it, I think we can get from the current milestone to like three, three and a half times as big with not too much money. And when I say not too much, I mean a couple of hundred thousand dollars rather than, you know, like a couple of million dollars. Yeah. Um, but then, so I don't really want to, ideally, like you never really want to give up too much equity. But what best case scenario, what, what I would like to do is get uh, finance from the bank to get to the next stage. And then if we can max out, all of that equipment on this side, on this site, sorry, then uh, look to raise money to build another brewery. But that's that's kind of getting getting ahead of myself a little bit. But what I would love to do is do like an equity crowdfunding thing when it comes out in Australia. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm kind of interested in doing, but it, it just depends on the timing of all of that and when we need the money versus when it comes out and, and that kind of thing. There, there's so much in there. And again, just because I just on the site with these people, you know, looking at they – the whole bottling and 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 using cans or whatnot and when to bring that in I, I mean they're so they're not anywhere near where you guys are um but so how was growing this different than the digital stuff i mean because you are still you were still out there making content you wrote a book <coughs> while launching this so how was getting the brand out there and growing that was there a difference or did you just apply the same strategies 
Um, well, I might talk about the canning first, even though this podcast has zero to do with beer. But it's, That's right. It's an interesting... You know what? For what it's worth, I love <laughs> craft beers, so just run with it. <laughs> All right, cool. I just because when you said that, it made me think like that's a really good example of like how fast things change in a business like this. Because when we when we ordered our equipment, we were not going to get any packaging stuff at all. So we weren't going to do cans. We weren't going to do bottles. And we were just going to make beer in kegs, sell them here, and then sell them in bars. Two months after that, we went to try and look at our equipment. We saw they had a little bottling machine that we could buy for five grand, and that would enable us to get our beer into bottles. So we decided to buy the bottling machine, and we did a crowdfunding campaign to raise money to pay for the packaging and stuff. Um, so that was literally two months later we, we got a bottling machine. Probably six months after we launched, it became really obvious that the bottling machine just wasn't – it was so inefficient for how much beer we were making that it was that we needed something better. And um, a guy started doing mobile canning. So now he comes in, and when he comes in every three weeks, we do like 400 cartons as opposed to like 30 wow. that we used to do with the bottling machine. Um, but then, you know, if we were to triple in size and we had him coming in every week, it would be costing us a fortune it would, and, you know, it would become obvious that we would need our own canning machine and that that could be, you know, le- that could be a year away, you know what I mean? So it's it changes so fast, it's kind of crazy. And, and I guess the difference growth-wise is with an online business, we only really had to worry about one thing with growth and that was – well, two things really. One was the service quality and the other was hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a bit of a – it was a sort of a calculation where like if we've got 30 more customers, we would need one more developer. Um, and doing so kind of kept the quality of the service about where, where we wanted it to be. But with the with the beer, it's, the, it's just not as simple as that. Like I'm doing this – I did this spreadsheet for the bank um, I think which you know about because I was in the group talking about it in the mastermind group. Um, and this thing is just like whoever reads this at the bank is going to have to have like a PhD in robotics <laughs> or something to understand how this spreadsheet works. It's so it's so unbelievable. Like I had to do a 10-minute video for my accountant, Ben, to so just so he could understand. And he did because he's a numbers guy. But it's like, like the amount of things that you can tweak that drastically changes the numbers in a business like this is just kind of scary. So, well, because you've, so you've got the canning, then you've got people, you've got customers, which is the canning, right? Then you've got the local, are you guys delivering kegs and stuff to local bars as well? So it's on tap at local places. I mean, there's like all these different revenue streams for the beer, right? That's right. We've got, I mean, we've got the bar here, which is about 30% of our revenue at the moment, but it, it will be less as we do more wholesale. We've got, so here we have takeaways in cans and we have people who come in, do tours, they do, they have tasting paddles, they buy beers. We open every day. Um, we've got wholesale customers who buy like bars and restaurants to buy kegs. You know, some buy two or three kegs a week. Others will buy one keg every three months, you know, depending on what, what sort of place, what sort of venue they've got. And then we've got bars that'll take cans to sell to customers. We've got a whole bunch of bottle shops now that are taking the cans. We've got an online store. We've got online retailers that take them. We've got our own online store where we sell merchandise and sell beer and we sell limited release beer on there. Um, we've got a distributor in Sydney that takes whatever we don't sell in Queensland and distributes that themselves. So there's just there's just so many <laughs> It's crazy, it's yeah. It's crazy. I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. so is it available in the States? Is any of the Black Ops stuff over here? No, no. This, I mean, that's not even – it's not even close to being on our radar. It's – I mean, even some of the really massive 
breweries in America have only just started bringing their stuff over. Like Stone, I think, wouldn't bring their stuff into Australia for years and years, and, and only in the last like year or two they're actually importing it themselves. Wow. It's, beer doesn't travel very well. The, yeah. The sort of beer that we make, it just doesn't travel that well. No, I could get that. It was so. How did the um? I, I just have to bring this up, and people are probably we'll we'll get to digital stuff on on in a second, guys. I just I'm totally fascinated by the story, yeah. um, with the Black Ops beer that you guys did. My son, who is 16, was really really impressed. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so how did that whole that thing came about? You guys made a custom beer for the the game Black Ops, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy thing. We just got an email from. Uh, the agency that represents Call of, uh, represents Activision, uh, the makers of Call of Duty, and it it was just a bit of a weird email. Like it, like Eddie got it and he thought it was spam. <laughs> yeah. But they they're apparently sitting around the office and they, they thought about doing a beer for the game and our name came up. I think they'd seen some of our content or listened to our podcast or something. And it just we just kind of let it go. Like like we replied to them. Govs was dealing with it. Govs is the brewer and the other uh, business owner. And he was kind of dealing with it back and forth. And it, it turned out it wasn't spam. It was like a legit inquiry, but we still like we weren't 100% sure how it was all going to work. Um, but, yeah, it ended up happening and we, we brewed this beer at another brewery because we didn't actually have a brewery at the time. It was before we'd opened. Um, but we were still contract brewing elsewhere and selling our beer like through um, bars and stuff at a very small scale. And, yeah, they did all the designing they did. They flew up a team of like five people and a director to like film this video of us like surfing and playing Call of Duty and shit. It was pretty <laughs> cool. They flew us down to Sydney um, to film at the at the brewery where we made the beer and do like a photo shoot. And yeah, then it came out and it went pretty viral. Like it was on all U- like gamers YouTube channels. It was on the local news and um, yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, for us, it was really just a marketing thing. Like we didn't make any money out of it. Yeah. But it was just a cool way to get some attention, and and we sort of filtered that into our crowdfunding campaign at the time. We kept, we kind of had all this momentum, and, and then we just kind of filtered it into our crowdfunding campaign and tried to raise some more money for our bottling machine and packaging. Yeah, a little bit of validation. Just, I mean, you've got this huge company going, "Hey, we like their beer, and they made it for us." I mean, I would think that would have gone a long way. Yeah. This must you must feel like yeah, we put it in the video crowdfunding, and and it gave us a bit more legitimacy, and it was a cool story. It's a totally cool story. Like, do you ever like pinch yourself? Do you ever feel like a kid in a candy store? It's like, <laughs> just here you get to kind of pull all these things together that you love and you work your ass off to get here. But I mean, you love beer, I'm assuming. And so you have a brewery and you get to do all the business stuff too. I mean, <laughs> do you ever step back and just think, I can't, this is awesome. <laughs> Not really. I know I should. I need to get better at that. I'm trying, I'm trying to do that. I just, I, I think I'm just always thinking about the next thing but i've started meditating so maybe that'll help and just trying to be more grateful but i I don't i don't know i don't normally just sit there and be like this is awesome but i should (laughs) well you've accomplished a lot and i just think to you know i think a lot of people just hearing your story like i said it's totally inspiring to me and to here which is a good segue because one thing that i love too dan that you do is you're very transparent about the challenges that you've dealt with to get to where you are i mean this has not been like dan had a great idea and it just all took off um, you know, yeah. it, it seemed, you know, like, I think I read a recent story about yours about the early days and the struggles you had with the university. And then I know you went through stuff with, you know, your agency, you were like, basically working your ass off to not make money with the agency. And then WP Kerr came about. But, you know, before that, it seems like a lot of people are hesitant to share their struggles with that. Did you what brought that out in you? Or was there a point where you just thought, look, this is just me, I got to I'm gonna put it all out there? Uh-huh. I don't know really. I, I kind of 
I don't. Are, are people really that hesitant? I'm, I, I mean, some people are. I think it's just like the world I'm in. I think I think just like the online marketing world. I kind of, I just got into that world and I kind of realized that, you know, like Pat Flynn was doing his income reports, and it, like a lot of people were just sitting around hating on it, but they kept popping up in my feed. Like people liked them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like that idea of being transparent and just sharing what you know. It it sort of it was it was just one thing that. It was it, like a lot of a lot of marketing doesn't really interest me and it doesn't excite me. It actually kind of pisses me off, especially like really like sales driven stuff. Mm-hmm. But this this content and storytelling type marketing is really the only thing I've done. One of only a few things I've done in business that kind of really like connected with me. Like I've, I sort of felt like if, if if I can write this stuff and I can share everything I'm doing and it's also marketing like that's pretty cool. So that was it really. Like I started doing it ages ago. I started just writing, you know, probably before I really should have like just, you know, trying to help people with websites and just trying to analyze things and break break down what to do with online marketing. And then I got when – I, when I sold my agency and started my software company, I just – I started doing monthly reports and I just noticed they got a lot of traction. So I just started paying more attention to that and I was, and I was kind of, you know, wondering why they got the traction and, and then – that sort of led me to just learning a bit more about storytelling and just learning how powerful that can be. And and now, you know, I'm at the point where if 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 there's a story in something, I'll, I'll look for it or I'll even chase the work that brings the story. And I know that that's like that's the best marketing I can do. It might not be the best marketing anyone can do because other people are good at other things. But for me, like telling stories, getting press, and um, you know, telling story on social media, telling the story through content and transparency is kind of the only marketing I've ever done that I enjoyed and really worked in any way. So that's that's kind of how it came about, and that's that's why we do it with uh, WP Curve and also with Black Ops. Well, you know, it's funny because I had gone. I, I so get the a lot of marketing kind of pisses you off, and I, I think, and I don't know, maybe it's just the time that I've been online, but I feel like it's shifting a little bit, like. People are just tired of the BS, but you know, I, I just see a lot of people struggling with content. And I had, you know, I've always created content, but I also for a long time was like, oh, I'm not a writer, or whatever. And I kind of got into these high ticket masterminds and stuff. And it just always felt I had some great adventures. I met great people, but over the last year and a half, I've done this like back to fundamentals, just creating content and and writing. I mean, I do like a daily email now, and it's just blown things up for me. And it didn't happen like instantly, but it's like this massive consistent action that doesn't take as long as people make it out to be, um, but has been the biggest growth. And and I totally use Content Machine and WP Curve as the inspiration. I mean, it it blows me away. I mean, you grew that company strictly through content marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about WP Curve because that was kind of awesome. Uh, GoDaddy purchase. So how, how did that whole thing come about? Yeah, it was all it was all a bit of a strange. I mean, th- there were definitely times throughout that where I sat back and I'm like, "Holy shit, that that just happened." <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's it sort of it was happening gradually. The first time we met with GoDaddy was actually um, tomorrow. Oh, sorry, Sunday. It was the 18th of June, 2016, and I was in America, and that was the day we opened Black Ops. And I was in a meeting with GoDaddy with Alex um, in talks about you know what you know what we could do with them. And which meant I missed I missed the um, opening of Black Ops, which kind of sucks. But 
that's how long the process took. It was it was that original meeting, and then it was just back and forth. And Alex handled most of it. I think I think we'd just gotten to the point where we'd kind of grown it as much. There, there was a lot of moving parts to it, to be honest. It was you know it, it had been successful, but we'd kind of grown it as far as I thought it was going to grow, unless we made a really drastic change to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I get bored pretty easily. Like two or three years is probably long enough for me to work on something that isn't changing very fast. Yeah. And so. And also working remotely was kind of challenging, you know, like having a team of 30 people but really never seeing any of them was didn't really suit me in hindsight. Like I, I kind of thought that would be the, the ultimate, but it turns out I actually prefer working with people around me and I think most people probably do. So there was a lot of things about it that I just sort of thought like I've got other stuff going on. I've got my writing, my books, my mastermind and black ops and other ideas for businesses and, and I thought, well, WP curve, it's still going well, but it's I'm kind of I'm kind of ready to move on, and so it was just it was it was a combination of us chasing it, and then there was a lot of luck involved. You know, it could have fallen through at any point, and it just ended up being a really good result. Alex happened to be living out in the U.S. He happened to be you know keen to move to where GoDaddy were because of the work with his personal situation. I wasn't keen to do anything after the sale. They were okay with that. They were okay just to take Alex and the team, um, and it was just a it was just a really fortunate thing for everybody. I think so. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I can't actually talk about the deal itself because we got an NDA, so yeah. that's why I'm being a little bit vague about it. But um, it yeah, it was a pretty cool thing to happen. Well, yeah, and I think there's yeah, didn't expect any of that, but I I think um, two things is WP Curve sort of set this. Uh, <laughs> It was a, it was kind of a change maker in the space in terms of commoditizing a, a service where you know going to the subscription model and there's been a whole bunch of people that have you know jumped on that that bandwagon for lack of a better word I mean it was it's a smart business yeah. model um, you know and at the same time it seemed like it was also you know GoDaddy jumping into WordPress hardcore um, there was yeah. a lot happening. You know, so I mean, it's it's pretty exciting. So, what are your thoughts on that business model? And I mean, was it more of a, um, you know, what do they say, imitation is the best <laughs> form of flattery? <laughs> yeah, well, there was. I mean, I, I wrote a book encouraging people to, you know, basically copy what we were doing. So I can't complain when <laughs> when people copy what we were doing. Um, but I think there's, you know, there was there's levels of imitation. That, you know, there's like like we had one guy. We had so many guys like this, but I had one guy, <clears throat> which you, you might remember, but he he basically copied WP Curve pretty much word for word, pixel by not pixel by pixel, but he basically copied the exact idea, put up a website. Um, after I sold the business, he, he joined my mastermind group, posted the site in there for a site review, asked me a thousand questions about how to like build this business, and I'm like, well, I mean, I, I just don't know how I feel about this. Like, I, I like people taking the idea. And applying it to something else, but someone just deliberately copying exactly what you've done and then asking you to help them do that just <laughs> kind of didn't sit too well with me. So there's been, there's been, there was that one, there was another one where there was quite a few actually where they just literally copied our exact website, even to the point where like putting founder photos on there and stuff, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so that level of like, um, yeah, yeah that's imitation, just copying. I, guess, I don't even know that we would say well imitation. But, but, yeah, yeah. But the rest of it, the rest of it was great, you know. Like I, in my seven-day startup group, I did challenges and I encouraged people to start these businesses. And you know, there's been some amazing examples. In fact, there's Design Pickle. I think ended up growing 
bigger than WP Curve. And there was a, there's also there's a bunch of businesses that have started off the back of this seven day startup idea, like Bean Ninjas, and there's a bunch of other ones um, that are going really really well. And I'm super stoked that I kind of laid the framework for that. But it's also it's also I always get nervous about people imitating anything because it's just so easy for people to just you know look at something and be like, oh well, that's what worked for them. Therefore, I can do it exactly that way and it'll work that way for me but it never um, works <laughs> it, it never ever works like that like you can you can copy people but even the people themselves rarely know why it was successful so when you copy them it's literally just never going to work so that makes me a bit nervous when people do that yeah and at the same time i think there's enough space for innovation it's like people get it's it's that oh, well this worked i can get rich quick if i just do the exact same thing and it, it just it, it doesn't work um okay so let's talk about um i'm gonna i don't drop the f-bomb on here so we'll say board af <laughs> people can figure it out <laughs> um but it, so i'm assuming that came out of you being bored but can you tell the listeners a little bit about that and what it is yeah i think i'm probably not going to continue with this business just because i, I really want to focus on black Ops, but it's still going at the moment basically the, the idea was um do do like animated cartoons of like funny excerpts from podcasts and use that for content marketing to build a business um, doing animated explainer videos for companies. Um, and so I did a bunch, I did a bunch of videos on YouTube. I, I took like uh, segments of audio from like the Joe Rogan podcast, for example, and then turn those into, and use an animator. I, I employed a full-time animator in the Philippines who's an absolute gun. And he basically produced these videos, like these hilarious videos of animations. Cause I, I kind of thought like sometimes listening to these stories, I was like, this story would be so much cooler if you could actually see like a cartoon <laughs> character doing it. Cause it was all just like really crazy. Like there's a Dan Bilzerian one and all these just like crazy stories. They're funny. I know and, I've seen them. They're funny. <laughs> yeah. That, and that, and that actually worked really well. Like the content marketing side, like I'm built up this following on YouTube. I mean, not a huge number of subscribers, but I think I've, I think I've had like 300,000 views on like four or five videos or something, That's something funny. like re- pretty significant. Um, and then I and then I just set up a website where I get inquiries for doing company explainer videos, um, and it I mean it's working well. I've, I've like it's it's basically breaking even every month. We do a couple of videos, and if we've got a bit of spare time, we'll do like a funny one. Um, but I just don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get someone else to look after it, or I'll sell it, or. Maybe I'll just leave it ticking over until I've got a bit more time. I'm not really sure. I think it'd be a cool business, but I never really thought it would be like an epic, like massive business. I just kind of thought, I actually um, just thought it would be fun to work on these projects, which it, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll just keep doing it for fun. I'm, I'm not really sure, but yeah, it's it's. I, I I think it's like a one of those things where you, you you go after things that are fun to you, but then sometimes you step back and you're like, actually. This this I should not be paying attention to, and like I got a business here that's, you know, becoming a seven figure business, and could could be you know could be much much bigger, and I really really and that's also fun. I really should be paying attention to that. So that's that's kind of what's happening with that one. That was an awesome segue. Thanks. The videos are funny, and I'll link to for everybody listening. I'll link to everything. <laughs> Uh, we've talked about in the show notes, obviously. Um, but you know, that that kind of brings me to sort of this online space and 
because you have had a lot of things going on and it, you know, I see that your writing obviously continues. Um, you know, it seems like some people can't, you can effectively, it seems like work on multiple projects at once. You know, for myself, I'm like, I've scaled back. I've cut a bunch of stuff out so I can focus on two things and that is it. So, you know, what are your thoughts with people, you know, specifically with, with online marketing in the digital space in terms of, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do this and they're going to do this. I mean, it seems to work for you. I, it doesn't work for me. Um, any guidance or suggestions on that? Oh, this is just one thing I've always struggled with. I think it's, um, I think there's a lot of merit to like chasing shiny objects and chasing, you know, what is really interesting to you. Cause otherwise you're never really going to know, like you kind of just find yourself in a position where you're working on something and you wake up one day and you're like, actually, I don't really like this. <laughs> um, and that's happened to me lots of times and, and it's probably happened to lots of people listening too. So I think like chasing shiny objects can be a really good thing, especially if you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And also like it can be really dangerous to commit to one idea, especially more so if it's not, if, if it's just not an idea that's getting traction and that is happening all over. It's happened to me so many times and people just, people just read this bullshit about perseverance and, sticking you know hard work and sticking with something but in the end they're just wasting their time they're just sticking with an idea that they shouldn't be and so that makes me nervous but it's also not good to be working on five things at once and I think it's it's kind of just a it's just ADD I think I just get bored I want to work on a different project I just something pops up in front of me and I want to work on that and but it's just something I'm constantly managing because I almost always come back to the need to just have one thing to be working on um because you really just, it's just too hard to do anything really well. And I found this, I found, I find this all the time. I, I go through like a year or two cycle where I have four or five things I'm working on and then I realize I'm not doing any of them well. So I'll scale back to one or two. And that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. And um, I've scaled back on pretty much everything except for Black Ops because I know that's, that's a thing that I can make fun and that is what really needs my focus. But the, the self-control to be able to say no to all the other ideas, that's, that's always been hard for me. And it's probably hard for lots of people as well. Well, especially because you have an audience and you have traction. And so, you know, I, I think that you, you know, having a built in platform to, to sort of launch things from, it would be tempting to, to put something out there and test it. Um, you know, I, I read your post, I love that on Medium um, about, you know, knowing when to quit. And, you know, yeah. I, I have this whole F the hustle thing, because I just, <laughs> you know, I work hard enough and there comes a point where you have to just, you can work smarter or I know for me, it's just been consistent action. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just yeah. getting old and I want a slower pace. <laughs> of life. Um, so what do you, that actually brings me to, so what are your thoughts on medium? Like I, I love writing on, I don't, I've only written a few things on there, but I, I think it's a great platform. What are your thoughts on medium in terms of traffic or audience? It seems good. I'm, I'm going to just check it right now, actually. Cause I don't know. <clears throat> Cause what I did with that post was, and I almost didn't do it, but I'm very glad I did, which was I just copy and pasted all of the content for that post onto Facebook directly. Um, I, yeah, I think that's where I saw it originally, but then yeah. how do I ended up on Medium? Oh, I think it came in a Daily Digest. I get a Daily Digest on Medium. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm just trying to think. Did I even – I don't think I even sent this that article to my list. Yeah, I think oh, I saw it in a yeah. in a medium. Like a uh, medium sends me a little here's stuff you might like, and that's where that's how I connected to it on medium. Yeah, that's a, that's good. I actually didn't. I don't think I even sent this to my list, which was kind of silly. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I just kind of like write it and add an hour spare, and I just wrote it. Um, but yeah, so I, I pasted it onto Facebook, and then it just blew up on Facebook. I think it was 
shared like 80 times. It had, it's got 200 comments and like 450 likes, which is, this is my Facebook profile. It's like, that doesn't normally happen when I put stuff on Facebook. Um, but I also, I also use medium for stuff like this, like this kind of content that's like more story driven. And, um, it seems to work like it seems to work better than my own blog. Like I, I generally get more traction. I'm just going to look at it now. So I, I put it on Facebook and I put it on medium and I have no idea what happened to it. So I've got, okay. So it's got, a, it's got 1100 views, 79 recommends, nice. which is good for my medium. So yeah. Yeah, I think it seems good. I mean, it's an easy platform to create on. It feels good creating on it. feels better than a blog. And I'm pretty sure my content on there gets more traction than it would on my own blog. So depending on the sort of content, I I, I would normally prefer to put it on Medium. But then some stuff, like if I do my like yearly recaps or like big like actionable posts, I'll put them on my blog. Um, but this story-driven stuff seems to do pretty well. I must have followers on Medium I don't know how to tell, but stuff seems to get traction on there without me doing a whole lot. Like I've done literally nothing with this and it's got, you know, over a thousand people have seen it. So, yeah, I think it's a great, yeah. well, I, a lot of people are republishing on medium because it doesn't have the same, you know, it's not going to ding you if you've, if you put it on your blog and then you go and put it on medium. So I think it's just getting it in front of another audience. I mean, I don't know that I've, you know, I've pulled in, I think one post or something, but um, I, I, I love reading on it. I think it's, it's super easy to, re- it's super easy to write on too. I mean, super clean. I don't have to worry about a zillion links and, and images and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think I'm, I never really liked the idea of repurposing content. I mean, I just talked about doing it for Facebook and I have done it a little bit, but I, I'm not really the sort of person who would create something on one platform and then just copy it to 10 different platforms. Cause I don't think that really works um, for like, you, you do sort of diminish the impact of it a little bit. I think what I prefer to do is have it on one platform, but it's just hard to resist with Facebook because it's like people, so many people that's on their phones. It's so hard for them to click a link. And when I say hard for them, I mean, first world problems, yeah. but it's, it's hard to click a link on Facebook and wait for a page to load and look at something as opposed to just reading what's already there. So pasting everything on Facebook, I think, works for me. But in terms of like putting on my blog and on Medium and on LinkedIn and on every other platform, I'm not super keen on that idea. I think I know like a lot of guys do it, like Altitude and stuff do it, but it's just never been something that I've been really into. Yeah, he was the one I was actually thinking of. Well, and I look at it too, that like Medium, I, I like it for the storytelling piece and I would rather write more of a, a, a personal piece of content that I wouldn't put, like, I wouldn't pull in a podcast episode necessarily into medium, you know, so yeah. um, it is interesting. So what are your thoughts then with repurposing? Like one, you know, Facebook live, it's, I've just started doing this recently. And so I pulled the video into my site, but then I write a post with the video and it, I, I seem to get a lot of bang for my buck by doing that. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sort of in two minds about this. still, still, I think it's, it's sort of like the the right, content in the right platform works a lot better um we, we do at black ops we do a podcast i do it in my office and i've got a mevo live streaming camera so we'll set the live streaming camera up we'll live stream the podcast on facebook and then the mevo will oh actually just reminded me i haven't actually done this for the last one but the mevo will capture the video and you can download it onto your phone and then you can and then, and then you can upload that video onto onto youtube um, and then of course, because it's a podcast, I record the audio in the office and then I put it on iTunes. Um, so I guess that's a little bit of repurposing, but I think out of all of that, the, the podcast is sort of what works and the rest of it doesn't seem to work that well. I think if, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe you need slightly better equipment, or um, or maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it does work well. I, I don't know. I just I think like every time you repurpose something, it sort of diminishes a little bit. I think the best like the best content is, you know, like if you've got an idea for a topic. Say, say this idea where <clears throat> this blog post I just wrote saying perhaps you should give up, which is which is a post about you know not necessarily persisting and working your ass off and instead actually giving up on bad ideas to enable you to free up to work on good ideas. So say I've got this one central idea, that's my idea. I think it would make more sense for me to record like a legit video on YouTube about this, um, do like an Instagram story. I found a couple of quotes that kind of sum this up from other people, um, and I shared those on Instagram. You, you know, you could do a, a Facebook Live Q&A or something or just like a video for Instagram, one-minute video for Instagram or a video for Facebook. You could write the blog post. You could, you know, you could write a, a Facebook version of it. Like I think that when you take one idea and like execute it well on each platform, I think that's a better way to do it. Do it, but I think it's also a lot harder. Um, but I think I think when you've just got one piece of content and you're just trying to duplicate that on every platform, it doesn't work anywhere near as well. I think for guys like Altucher who are just like so prolific and have such a powerful audience, it probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, for everyone else, I'm not so sure. I think the best, the best thing is probably just to pick whichever one you're good at. I just, I think it's so, it's so awesome now that like you were saying before that you, you know, you didn't think you were a good writer or whatever. So you you had to persist, you know, with, with doing the writing these days, I feel like you don't really, I mean, there's so many different ways to create content. There's so many awesome platforms and some people are just really good. You know, like I follow these people on Instagram I try to do videos. I'm just it's, it's just never been anything I've been good at. I just I seem to be better at writing and just not that good on video, but other people are just really really good on video and I think for them, you know, if they can do both then that's awesome. But if they're just good on video, then just do video and just don't overthink it. Like don't don't do 50 platforms, just do one and do do it really well. And the the opposite of that is even more true is is people who are just not suited to the medium and no pun intended, I don't mean medium, I mean like the, the <laughs> yeah. platform um, of of what they're doing content on. And it's just, I see it, I feel so bad. I want to tell them, but I just feel like a complete asshole. So I normally don't. But, you know, I've, I've been on podcasts that are just, I literally am just so bored out. Of, I'm just going to sound like a, such an asshole saying this, but just, um, just so bored, even just sitting here listening to the questions that I just think, no one's going to listen to this. Like no one wants to listen to a boring podcast. No one wants to listen to one person talking really slowly and boring and talking about boring shit. It's just, it's just the nature of it. Like you need to have something interesting in there. I and totally if, love if, the honesty. if you're that person who you, you can't do audio well, then just please don't do fucking oh, shit. I said, fuck, sorry. Okay. Please don't do audio. Um, and if you, if you shit on video, which a lot of people are, including myself, then please don't do video. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I think people get distracted thinking about all these opportunities. Whereas it's a bare essential if you're going to do content marketing that you have to do content marketing well. And fair enough, you can learn, th- learn things to a point. But there's, there's going to be one or two things that just come so much more naturally to you. And I, I feel it's much better advice for people to focus on those things. I, I could not agree more. And, you know, the thing, it's funny, I, I think where I was talking into you know, the writing piece, it's just, I have fallen in love with it. 
And I'm so I'm glad I persisted. Yeah. I love doing the podcast. Um, you know, video, I was hesitant. And I don't know if it's because I'm, I don't know, lazy. And I'm like, I don't want to do my hair and makeup all the time. But I'm like, well, you that's know, the thing. That, that's, right? This is an example. This is an example where it's like p- people who are really into video, like they like doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's something that it's not something where they, where they sit around and go, oh, this sucks. I'm going to have to make myself look nice. I'm going to have to hold the camera in a certain angle. Um, you know, I'm going to have to think about smiling. It's, it's not forced. It's just, they're just good on video. Like some people are, some people aren't. Um, and if you got all that friction there, it's just going to screw everything up. And for me with, with writing, the friction wasn't really there. Like it was, I could just open up the computer, had one little idea and I could turn that into a thousand words in, you know, 10 minutes. And, um, that's, that's a good sign that that's the kind of content I should be doing. And, the the there's definitely something to be said to you know working on your your weaknesses and to pushing through barriers and stuff like that but you definitely don't have to be doing all things and video is just one to me that is a really obvious one like I just see so many people doing video who just should not be doing video and I just and even when I I do tell them something like people in my group who do it I tell them they don't listen I don't know I kind of give up but that that's just that's just what I think I think just do do what you do really well well, how would you gauge it? Let me ask you that. So, I mean, because the live streaming, I think it's fun. It's engaging. It's similar to to kind of podcasting for me. But I, I think a yep. lot of the other stuff, you know, you see, like I'll see these launch videos and stuff, and I'm like, I just, I don't know if it's me, you know. And it feels very production, and not not that I'm afraid to put the effort into it. But so, how would you suggest someone gauge that? I mean, if they are not getting the reach, the response, like, but maybe somebody loves doing it, but it's not getting the traction they want. I think it's purely self-awareness to be honest because I, I honestly don't think – I don't think any – I mean if you're not getting the traction, it's a pretty good indication that you're not doing the right thing. It's not a given but it's a good indication. Um, but no one's ever going to tell you. Like I mean I'm as honest as any person on earth uh, except maybe Gary V. He's probably more <laughs> savage than I am. But I still am not going to tell someone – that they look terrible and sound terrible and are executing terribly on video. I'm just not going to do that because I just couldn't. Um, I mean, I can say it generally on a podcast like this, but I'm not going to tell an individual that this is terrible, they shouldn't be doing it. Um, and if I'm not going to do that, then no one is. So it really it comes down to self-awareness. If, if you can look at something and you think it's good, um, but it's actually shit, then it's you need to work on your self-awareness. And that's I don't really know how to do that, but I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. No, and and I love your point too about when you find something that you enjoy doing and it's easy to do. There's there's this be everywhere you know mentality, and it's just you can't. You know, I mean, there are certain platforms I'm never going to spend the energy on, but you know, so that works. So, yeah. You know, as we're winding, no, I think down- that's terrible advice. I think the, the be everywhere is terrible advice, and it's just it's just an example of where, like, if, if you if you get to a certain level where you know you can just you've just got huge audiences on every platform and you can just keep cranking out content that fair enough. But, but what you got to realize is most of the people in that audience are not at that level and them being everywhere is just, is just terrible advice. So, um, I, yeah, I think it really depends on where you're at, but I'm guessing most of the people listening to this are, you know, trying to build a business, trying to do content. They're trying to get traction with something, which is, I I really relate to that because that's, that's where I found myself, over many years and to be honest, still find myself still constantly trying to think you know, how to be relevant, how to get traction. And that's the kind of audience that I speak to because, and I think for those sort of audiences, you really need to first figure out, it needs to be a combination of what people want, but also what you can do really well. And so the being everywhere just flies in the face of that. And I think is, is bad advice. 
So I, I, I totally agree. And also, thanks. I have to go in one minute because I got another interview. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll just wind up. I, I thank you for everything you do, Dan. Like, I love your books. I, I, I got the Black Ops book, too. Not that I'm going to open a brewery, but um, the story was awesome. So um, thank you. Are you okay. last last question? Are you working on any of their books or what else is coming? I know your focus is Black Ops. Yeah, no, well, I, I started writing, I started writing a book about building a services business. Um, sort of telling a bit more of the story from WP Curve. And I mean, I've got a lot of people in my audience who want to do that, build this sort of recurring services business. Um, but it's, it's not really flowing because I'm, it's not, it's not really my world anymore. And it's kind of boring for me to sit down and write about this. So I might persist with it just because I think it's a book that would probably do pretty well. And I feel like I can add value and help people on it. Um, but I'm not going to say I'm doing it yet because if it, if it doesn't feel like coming out, then it's not going to come out. Most of the other books have come out pretty easily. Um, and if I get another idea that I do want to keep writing. So if I get another idea that's sort of more interesting to me, then I might run with that. But, um, the, the, the writing, you know, it's all cool that, you know, I make a little bit of money doing it. It's more just like a, a, an outlet really. It's not, it's not a huge business. It's just more of an outlet for me to do what I want and, and, and what I like doing and also help other people. So yeah, there'll be more writing. I'm just not exactly sure what. Well, awesome, Dan. Thank you. I love chatting with you. Congratulations on everything. It's You've worked hard and it's been fun to watch and you're a total inspiration. So thank you. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much. Let me know when this comes out and I'll make sure I share it in my group and, and hopefully it helps some people. Absolutely. All right. Good luck on the other one. <laughs> thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by leadsurveys.io. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You decide on a lead magnet, you create an amazing ebook for your potential subscribers, you get the opt-in up, whatever platform you're using, it's connected to your autoresponder, and then crickets. Are your visitors getting bored with the same type of opt-in? All of this, we're getting used to seeing the same things over and over, right? So what if you could market to your subscribers based on the information they gave you at the first point of contact? Yep. That's what lead survey is going to do. You can generate quality leads with simple surveys that convert. Not open yet. Lead surveys is coming soon. Get an early invitation by going to the WPChick.com forward slash lead surveys. Again, that URL is the WPChick.com forward slash lead surveys.